1 Timothy 6, 6. I don't want to say that Jude verses 20 and 21 are more important than 1 Timothy 6, 6 because they're not necessarily. But if you're keeping Jude 20 and 21, you automatically are keeping 1 Timothy 6, 6. Because those four exhortations that our brother Jude gave us lead us to godliness and contentment. 1 Timothy 6, 6. I will finish in a few minutes. Just give the Spirit of God an opportunity to work on your soul to convict you to greater godliness and greater contentment. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Father in heaven, blessed God, I ask Thee, in the name of Thy Son, Jesus, and by the power of Thy Holy Spirit, to convict all of our hearts and lead us to repentance, where we have not been as godly as we should have been, nor as contented as we should have been. Lead us to greater godliness and greater contentment, that we might find that great gain You Hereby promise us. Help us now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Your success is here described. Or your failure. I know those of you that are the most happy, and I know those of you that are the most miserable. And the predicament of your life is easy to figure out. It's as easy as this short little verse of seven words. It is great gain to learn these two things. Who says? God said. The God that knows more about gain than you'll ever know. That God said, this is great gain. If it was a philosopher, philosophers can call things gain that we would consider insane. But this is the wise God of heaven who knows more about what leads to human pleasure and profit and human misery and pain than all others combined. And he says, these two things are great gain. If you neglect this little rule here, you're going down. The God of heaven will laugh at you. And after a reasonable measure of trying to save you, we will laugh at you. Because if you want to turn your back on the simplicity of the gospel and the simple rule for great gain in your life, you deserve what you are going to get. And there is nothing in heaven above or in hell beneath that can save you from the trouble that you are going to get into if you are not keeping 1 Timothy 6.6. If you're not happy, here's the cure. Every married couple and every about-to-be-married couple, if you do not put this verse first, your marriage will be miserable. If you think it's going to bring you happiness, it will not. If you compromise either half of this, either the godliness or the contentment, and if you want to know the truth, you can't have one without the other. If you're living a godly life, you will be content. And the only way to be content is to be living that godly life. 
They're dependent upon each other. But if you do not put that first, you will not be happy. There's no person that can make you happy. There's no gain in complicating your life by adding another person to all of your decisions and to your income statement. And you know when you get married, you add them to your income statement more on the expense side than you do many times on the income side. The blessing is to have the blessing of marriage, the blessing of a good job, the blessing of a prosperous business, the blessing of all those things depends upon this verse right here. The chapter is part of a pastoral epistle. Paul is trying to, Paul is not trying to, he is. He's giving great instruction for Timothy to be a great minister. He tells him in verses 1 and 2 that everyone that you come in contact with, Timothy, that works a job, let them submit to their masters and serve them well in all things, giving them all honor that the Word of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. Whether they're believers or unbelievers, it makes no difference. In fact, if they're believers, you should give them a little bit of extra service because they're beloved and partakers of the benefit. Then he goes to false teachers in verses 3 through 5. And we read verse 3 earlier today. He describes these false teachers as being proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth. And then he's got this character trait about false teachers. Supposing that gain is godliness. And what does he say about these false teachers? From such, withdraw thyself. Get away from them. Get away from teachers like that. And this describes false teachers today. Supposing that gain is godliness. Have you ever heard anyone say on the job when someone got a promotion or a raise, they must be living right? How do you know? Bill Gates seems to have got a couple raises in his lifetime, but I don't know anything right about his life. But that's how the world thinks. Gain is godliness. And you know churches today are measuring themselves by the numbers that they can report on their membership role, the numbers in their assemblies, the number of their buildings, and the amount of revenue they take in in a year. And they call that godliness. We're the fastest growing church in town. We're the largest church in the city. We're the largest church in the state. And they talk about gain as an evidence of godliness. We, we, need, we need this fifth verse. And we need those words because 1 Timothy 6.6 6 starts out with the word but. Because Paul is going to contradict something that he's just said. They, the false teachers, look at gain as godliness. Hey, God's with us. We must be pleasing Him because we're 20% bigger than we were last year. Paul comes along to Timothy and says, From such withdraw thyself. Get away from men like that that don't want to stick with the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ, that just want to argue and nitpick about little words, and that think that gain is godliness. They don't know anything. They're lost. Withdraw from them. Here's how you should be. But godliness with contentment is great gain. He sets a new philosophy, a new rule, a new principle up that opposes the principle and rule of worldly teachers. They measure everything by gain. And gain is not a proof of righteousness. 
Fruit is a proof of righteousness. Results are not a proof of righteousness. Fruit and results are not the same thing. Fruit are results that God defines as spiritual progress and spiritual success. Results, just numbers, or growth numerically, or finances, or buildings, that proves nothing. That's the prosperity of fools, Proverbs chapter 1 describes. So, we come to the word but. It is to set us apart. While they're out there measuring great godliness by their gain, we know that godliness with contentment is great gain. Whether we increase in numbers or not, whether we ever increase in a building or not, those things don't matter. What matters is, do we have godliness with contentment? Then he goes forward from that verse to verse 7. And he explains in verse 7, two rules. You can trust these rules. You didn't bring anything into this world, and you ain't taking anything out. You can trust those two rules. You've never seen anyone arrive. Sherry's watched quite a few births with anything. And you know, when we watch them go out, they don't take anything with them either. In fact, they even leave their bodies behind. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Therefore, to care about things is totally a waste of your time. You didn't bring anything in. You're not going to take anything with you. So to be worried about accumulating things is so foolish because you're not going to take them with you. That's there in verse 7. Then we come to verse 8. There are two necessities with which believers should be able to be content. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Food and raiment to cover your nakedness and to keep yourself alive till tomorrow. Notice it didn't say in having food and raiment and a 2,000 square foot house and a couple of automobiles in the driveway and a college education. It didn't say anything like that. We don't need those things to be content. Having food and raiment, let us be there with content. The basic necessities of life are what the Apostle is teaching here in this 8th verse. We should be content with those. Anything beyond it is something God gives us and He can give it for us to richly enjoy. But it is not necessary. It is not necessary. Verse 9. What a warning is in this verse. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That's a terrible indictment of wanting to be rich. Verses 9 and 10 say that you're going to expose yourself to temptations that are going to get you into horrible sins. Verses 9 and 10 say it's going to make you unhappy. Because if you set your eyes on riches, they'll never be enough. Remember there was a verse learned recently that said, Ecclesiastes 5.10, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. And he that loveth abundance or gain is not going to be satisfied with that either. So look at, look at the indictment of wanting something more than you've got and, and worrying about it and fretting for it and setting your heart to pursue it. They've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. They've erred from the faith. It's the root of all evil. It leads men into foolish and hurtful lusts. 
and it drowns men in destruction and perdition. Jesus would say it creates a thorn bush that grows up and chokes out the Word of God so that a man cannot be fruitful. So you can't please God and you can't be happy if you're trying to be rich and thinking things will do that for you. So we're back to verse 6. Now Paul told, before we go back to verse 6, Paul told Timothy in verses 11-12, he told him three F's. Flee, follow, and fight. And the flee is to flee those things that he had just listed in verses 7-10. through 10. Money. Things. The pursuit of riches. Flee these things, son Timothy. Follow after faith. And the things meant righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness mentioned there in verse 11. And verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. That's what the man of God is supposed to do. Flee those things. Follow the spiritual things. And fight the fight of faith. And lay hold of eternal life. That's what a minister is supposed to do. Flee, follow, and fight. And this shows us right here the difference between a carnally minded person and a spiritually minded person. The spiritually minded person flees those things. The pursuit of riches. And he follows after spiritual goals. Back to verse 6. There's more that could be said about the rest of the chapter because the rich are addressed. There are rich Christians. There are rich, spiritually minded Christians. There are very few of them, but there are some of them. They're as likely to get into the kingdom of heaven as a camel can go through the eye of a needle. There's very few of them, but there are some. Abraham was a rich man. He was the friend of God and he was the father of the faithful. There was Job, very rich, and yet look what the Bible says of him. There's no one on earth like Job. He has choose evil and fears God. There are very few. But they're exhorted to not trust in those uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Everything that those rich people have to enjoy, God gave it to them, and they should remember that it came from God, and they should be rich to share it with others. And so we end the chapter with a serious charge to Timothy in between. And a warning for him not to listen to science falsely so-called. We come back to verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. We want those words in our soul. That verse is so easy to memorize. Every single one of us probably already knows it. This is the rule for happiness. This is the rule for pleasing God. Both can go together. You You can have everything by practicing this simple little verse. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I want you to believe that. I want you to remember it. I want you to think there's two, there's only two things I need Brother Crosby to point out right now. What is godliness and what is contentment so I can do them because I want the great gain that's described here. Now I said something earlier and I saw some smiling faces. But you know it's all true. What's the fastest way to make your wife prettier? Send her out for to get her hair done? Cosmetic surgery? What is it? It's, choose, it's to choose to be contentment, content with her. Right. What's the easiest way to be content with your house? Get a new one? Choose to be content with it. I love the testimony we had before the preaching, before prayer, of a brother in here who's learned that he's got a pretty good job. Listen, if I cut your wages in half, you'd think it's even better. If you had to drive 30 miles to get to it, you'd think it's better. I can list a hundred things that are good about your job. I know you can too. It's a choice to be content. If I cut your wages back, it'd make it a whole lot harder to bear. There's a whole lot of things that we can look at the positive side and say, thank you, Lord, 
for what you have given me. I have some trials with it. I have some challenges with it. But it is a good thing, and it's what you've chosen for me, so I'm going to do my best in it. Oh, contentment. It's a choice. Contentment is a choice. It is learned behavior. It is not something we wait around for the Lord to make us content. We choose to be content, and the Lord gives us the strength to do it. You all know the verse. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. What was Paul talking about when he said that? Contentment. Look at Philippians 4. This is, you need the strength of Christ to do it. But He'll give you the strength if you seek to do it. If you start to do it, if you try to do it, God will help you do it. That's a fair deal. If He tells me what is great gain, and if I even start down the right path, He'll give me the strength to finish it out and accomplish the great gain? That's correct. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest for your souls. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 is where we'll start. He has just told the Philippians that he's thankful for them sending a gift for him because he needed some financial support because some other churches were not helping him. And he says in verse 11, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Notice the several things that he says in that verse. I'm not telling you because really I'm all that short. Because I've learned in whatsoever state I am, whether rich or poor, I can be very happy in that state and therewith to be content. I can be content no matter what my level of income is or what my circumstances might be. I can be content. But notice what he's, I have learned. I have learned. It's something that must be taught. It is something that must be received and then applied and practiced. This is not something I can pour into you. This is not something God will just pour into you. This is a choice on your part to trust the sovereign God that the circumstances right now in your life, the deck of the, the hand of cards that has been dealt by the Most High to you, I hope people can handle that analogy. You know, where, where I came from, you couldn't put God and cards in the same book or you were in trouble. But you know what I mean. Right. That the hand that God has dealt you is God's sovereign choice for your life. That doesn't mean we don't pray for deliverance. That doesn't mean we don't pray for changes. That doesn't mean we don't try for changes. But when those changes are permanent, when, when God's given us something permanent, we submit. How do we know the difference? David prayed that God would reverse his decision and save that little baby. His little baby by Bathsheba, the first one, the one from adultery. God did not save. And for seven days, David was on the deck begging God for the life of that child. As soon as God showed that it was His sovereign will that that child was going to die because the child did die, then David got up, went in and worshipped, submitted himself to the will of God. Till that point, he did try to change his circumstances. But as soon as he knew it was the will of God, Lord, I know Your will. I'm content with it. If you're married, guess what? Don't pray for a new spouse. Not if you're in this assembly and you have a converted spouse. You should be thankful to God for her or him. Your job. You don't like your job? Then pray for a new job. That's a little different than a spouse. I hope you understand that there are things that we do try to change. Is your house too small for your family? And the Lord's given you means to have a larger house? Go ahead and have the larger house. 
But no, don't make it important. Don't make it so important that it twists you out of shape and you lose your fellowship and walk with God. You're not being content with what He's given you. Paul said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He describes it in verse 12. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. It does, I, I can handle all circumstances. It does not matter what the Lord gives me at a particular point in time. I can handle it. Then he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. If you just read verses 11 and 12 and said to yourself, I don't think I can do that, that's why you have verse 13. Because Paul had learned how to be content. It was learned behavior. It's a choice. What is godliness? Godliness is being like God. God, godliness is doing what God wants you to do. Godliness is doing those things that please God. The Bible's filled with the things that are acceptable to Him and what He wants us to do, four of which we learned this morning. We want to do those things. If you do those things, you are approved of God. Jesus wanted to grow in wisdom, and in, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and men. How did He grow in favor with God? How did he grow in favor with men? By practicing godliness. He practiced godliness in his life so you can see the success there. You can see the great gain. God approves of you. Listen, when God approves of you and he's smiling upon your life, it is a great thing. It is a great blessing. And then you can grow in favor with men. Now that's not men of the world. To a a degree it is. But mainly, that's godly men. Growing in favor with godly men. I mean, wicked men did not love the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't grow in favor with them. But he grew in favor with all those that were godly and virtuous and repentant because they came and heard him gladly. Godliness is great gain by virtue of God's approval and acceptance of it and by good men accepting and approving of you as well. Godliness. If you choose not to live a godly life, if you choose to follow the world and its idea of what a real lifestyle is, you lose God's approval of your life. You lose His favor. He stops smiling upon you. It can be as small as your thoughts in your heart about another. Remember the verses that we just had a little while ago about love. If you want to compromise God's rule for loving others, if you want to be selfish and self-centered and get offended when they do the least little thing to irritate or bother you, then you're choosing a course to go against godliness. And if you go against godliness, you lose. I lose. We have to start with godliness. Godliness is being spiritually minded, not carnally minded. It's walking with God. It's seeking Him with our whole hearts. That's being a godly man. What is contentment? It's being satisfied with the circumstances God's given. God has given each of us A long laundry list of circumstances. Your height. Your body vulnerability to different diseases. Your children. Their personalities. Your IQ. Their IQ. Everything. God's chosen it. It's a set of circumstances. You can't look at your child and say, too smart for me. I don't want that little pup growing up at my supper table and send him back. You can't say, too dumb for me. I like someone a little brighter than that. It'll bring home an A once in a while. I think I'll send him back. The Lord chooses all that. 
And you know what? We, we, can all, we could all sit here and get a little more intimate than what I've just said by some of the frustrations and disappointments that we've seen in our lives by God's choices. But you know what? Every single one of those choices are by God for His glory and your profit. And we, we choose to be satisfied and content with them. This is what God's given me. This is what I'm going to appreciate. I love my Jeep. My Jeep is old. It's getting tattered. You know, I had to, I had to trick the transmission for the last year to drive it because I wanted to. I love my Jeep more than the other car that I mentioned. You know, it's an abused vehicle, but it gets me everywhere I, I go. I want to make it last as long as I can. I am no hero of contentment. I'm not trying to set myself up as the standard of it. But I'll tell you, I can get in that vehicle and say, hey, you've got me everywhere I've needed to go so far. You're a good Jeep. Balaam talked to his ass. Can I talk to my Jeep? It's a good Jeep. And it's a choice. I don't look at anyone else's car and wish I had their car. Well, don't let me get too close to your car, but, you know, I'm content with it. And, and it's a choice. I'm 50. I've learned. I've learned. Because if you start thinking about, well, I don't like this about it and I don't like this about it, and look at that beautiful thing over there, all of a sudden my Jeep is a piece of trash. I don't want to be seen in it. I hate it. Kick it when you walk by it. That's because you have a bad attitude toward it. Right. You know, contentment is a choice. If you're handed a, a glass half full of water, what do you think? It's half empty or it's half full? And you've heard that little expression before. But listen, how, how are you looking at it? Right. What you don't have or what you do have? The Lord tells, the Lord's dealt us the glass. The Lord's given us the Jeep. I could change the Jeep, but there's no, I don't have a need to. A to B. How do I get there? It gets me there. Contentment. Godliness. Living and pleasing God and being satisfied with the circumstances that He has given us is great gain. Look at what you end up with. Pleasing God and growing in favor with Him and men and happy all the time because you are content with whatever set of circumstances you have at any point in time. That is win, win. That is beautiful. And that is 1 Timothy 6.6. That is God's rule for your life. If you you don't keep that, if you cheat on godliness, you will lose your contentment. If you lose your contentment, you're cheating on godliness because you're no longer submitting to God for what He has dealt you. Why does the Bible call covetousness idolatry? This is the point I'm trying to make of how close godliness and contentment go together. If you are coveting something, and what does it mean to covet something? It means to lust after it or want it so bad that it makes you unhappy with what you presently have and it causes you to be tempted toward doing something ungodly to get it. Covetousness is called idolatry in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5 and Ephesians chapter 5. Covetousness is called idolatry because it means I can't be happy unless I have that thing. Therefore, what God dealt me in having God, as well as the things He's given me, is not enough to make me happy. And all of a sudden, that thing is your idol. It is more important to you than God and what He and His wisdom has given you, and you're guilty of idolatry. Do you believe that's in the Bible just that way? 
that covetousness is idolatry? It is. Look at Hebrews 13. Brethren, it doesn't take a hundred verses to help us on this subject. All it takes is, is it really that simple? And what will I do about it? What am I going to do about it today? Where have you cheated? Godliness or contentment? Or both? What should you be repenting of right now in your seats? What should I be confessing and purposing to do better? Where are you discontent? Where are you coveting? Where are you not thankful and satisfied with the circumstances God has given you? This is one of my favorite passages about contentment. And I hope it is yours. You've heard it before. Hebrews 13.5 Let your conversation be without covetousness. That's have a lifestyle that is satisfied with the things you have. That's what the word conversation means here. It doesn't mean when you're talking to other people, don't talk about things you don't own. Let your lifestyle be without covetousness. Let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. The most important word in that verse is the word for. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Based on the fact that God, the great God of heaven, the Lord Jehovah, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, He has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Do you believe that? Do you know what it means? God will be with you through time and eternity. He will walk with you every day. He talks to me in my bed. I can talk to Him in my bed. He knows pain in my heart that I can't even tell my wife. Because He said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. He's going to see me through the curtain of death. He's going to give me an eternal inheritance. He forgives me every time I wrong Him. He teaches me things when I ask that I need more wisdom. Because of that, we should be content. Look at the verse. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Don't be covetous and wanting things you don't have. Be content with such things as ye have, no matter what they are, for. For. Here's the whole basis for it. He hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. He is the reason and the basis and the definer of godliness. He is the reason and the basis and the definer of contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. God will be with you. He is with you. He's promised to never leave. What He's given you are the things that would make you the best Christian if you will submit to those things and be thankful for them. They may not be the things your flesh wants you to think. They may not be the things your colleagues think would be best for them or for you. But they are the best that God thinks for you. And that doesn't mean we can't apply our wisdom and from time to time make minor changes in our lives. But while we're making those changes, we should be thankful with the things God's given us. And seek His blessing and His direction. Lord, if it be Your will, I would take a new job. But not my will, but Thine be done. That's praying in the Spirit. And that's praying contentedly. You young people, 
if you compromise this, Joel, if you compromise this rule, you're going to be miserable. She cannot make you happy. You don't even know pain yet. I love you and I'm speaking to you in love. Because it said, but speak the truth in love. I'm telling you the truth. We've talked before. You think you've been in pain because you've been alone? He doesn't know anything, does he yet? Compared to the pain that he can have if he gets married and thinks, this thing that I thought was so great, I'm now in it and I'm so unhappy. Do you know how that all happens? Because we left 1 Timothy 6. It happens to all of us. Wendy, same thing applies. I'll just be a little nicer to you. Because Joel and I are pretty good friends. I think. It doesn't work. You two back there, some others sitting around here, it doesn't work unless you get this first. If you get this first, all of a sudden you have such a handsome dude that you're married to. He is such a wonderful man because you are walking with the Lord and you're living a godly life and you are content with what God's given you. I have God's gift to womankind and He married me. That's what a a woman can be thinking if she's walking with the Lord because all of a sudden she is filled with graciousness and peace and joy and gentleness and long-suffering. She can overlook his faults and forget them because we've all got them. And a man can do the same thing with his wife. He can overlook the faults at home. He can overlook the faults of a jeep, a car, a job, whatever you've got. If you're, if godliness with contentment, it is incredible. It, is, it has promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Amen. God's blessing is upon it in this world and in the next world. If you, if you cheat, all of you young people, if you are not living a godly life by keeping God's commandments towards your parents, towards your siblings, those are your brothers and sisters, in the church, in reading your Bible, your music, your thoughts, your words, your friends. If you cheat on godliness, you will not be content with your life. You will be unhappy and miserable, and you lose. I give you success, not from Jonathan Crosby, but from the Word of God. This simple little verse. If you will go home and get on your knees and confess every bit of ungodliness and thank Him for the parents you have, the brothers and sisters you have, your circumstances in life right now, you'll be full of joy. You can get happy like that. Well, maybe a little slower because you should say all the things that I said. But the Lord will bless you. If you, if you walk out of here today and do not let this little rule sink down into your heart, and if you do not keep it, you are going to be miserable the rest of your life. There is no happiness out there. Godliness leads to great gain. Not worldliness. Contentment leads to great gain. Not ambition. The ambition, the ambitious are never content. They are driven men. If you've ever met one of them, they are driven and they are not content. They cannot rest at night because there is someone else while they're resting that is out working and getting ahead of them and that kills them. Godliness with contentment is wonderful. You can sing in prisons. You can praise God and worship Him when all of your kids have been taken away and your house is flat on the ground from a whirlwind, like Job. I know it's very simple. Godliness with contentment is great gain. By the Spirit of the living God, humble yourself before those words and choose them as the way that you're going to live for the rest of your life. In your house, with your spouse, in your vehicle, with your body, with your height, with your intelligence, with your job opportunities, with your job, with your business, 
with your health, with your finances. Godliness with contentment is great gain. If you have the Lord with you and you appreciate Him for all that He is, nothing else matters. You can smile in the face of any set of circumstances. And we have seen and met some of those people. We have seen some of them die. And instead of going to them to comfort them, to walk into their room, they comforted us because they were content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You will win. You will be a success. And that is defined by the Lord God Himself. I pray for you to accept these words and to practice them. And if you have compromised either one, confess it. Confess it to the Lord right now. And turn to Him and say, Lord, I'm sorry for not being as godly as I should have been. Teach me what I don't know and I'll follow you more perfectly. I'm sorry for not being content with what you've given me. I will be from here on out. And lead me to that great gain of walking with you every day and having you with me forever and being thankful for what you have kindly given to me because you have been kind, dear Lord. In Jesus' name, help me to do that. Amen.